podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Boom, we're on. And today's guest, we've got Peter Woods. Peter, how are you? Hello there. I'm okay, thank you very much. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. You've done a video on TikTok. A lot of people tagged us in, talking about the struggles of life, talking about your struggles of being a kid, raped at 12, being through the system, in and out prisons. And now you're here today to tell your story. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. I'm very, very grateful. Good to have you on. But before we get into everything, Peter, I always go back to the start of my guests. Where you grew up and how it all began. Well, um, as far as I know, because it all happened very young, and extremely young, I believe by the reports I've been reading in the last uh, year, because I've started writing a book about what happened. And um, my dad tried to kill my mum with a knife, and it, was, it, it resulted in five of, of his kids being put into the care system. And I was put into the care system when I was eight months. And because I was I was the youngest, I was too young to go into a children's home, so they put me into a nursery until I was two. I'm not sure where the nursery was, but all I know is once I was two, I I joined my my brothers up in North London, a children's home uh, called uh, 82 Muswell Hill, and it was a detached house, and it was a children's home, and there was about ten kids and four staff there. So I grew up there basically in North London in Muswell Hill. How was uh, no schooling or nothing then, just in and out care homes from a very young age? Well, yes, yeah, um, from eight months and I went and I left when I was 18. But during them years, I mean, you know, it was in the 1960s. So it, 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 there was no care really. I mean, it's called a children's home and a care home. There was no care. Um, there was no love. There was no kind words. Uh, the only thing we got for care was food and clothes, you know. And for someone like me, it's um, it's very hard because I'm very emotional and very sensitive. I'm actually born a highly sensitive person, which is maybe only 15% of the population, which means we feel things on a different dimension than most people. I mean, it's very profound and very strong. And when we feel, it's it's we feel deeply, you know. Mm. So for, for someone like me not to have any love as a child, it's it's hard. It's hard. You know, no no foster parents. Well, um, what actually happened in the sixties? Not many adopted black kids. You know, and I overheard two of my carers say when I was six that mixed race and black children are less likely to be adopted and more likely to spend the rest of the childhood in care. And the next day, when I was in the bath, I tried to scrub myself white. You, you know, because I wanted to give myself a better chance so I could be loved. You know. Because mm -hmm. I would do anything, I would do anything, you know, to be loved, and uh, because I was black, you know, that seemed to be a problem. So, you know, I'm only six. I'm trying to think. Oh, if I can be white, I can find parents, you know. So I scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed, and uh, I didn't get any white. I it started to bleed, and uh, you know, I, I spent to the rest of the my childhood in care. How many other kids were in these care homes? Well, the first, the best home was the first home in Muswell Hill because it was small and it was the closest I felt to a family, you know. Um, the staff were friendly, 
you know, not overcaring, but friendly. And the kids were like brothers, you, you, you know? So it was small and intimate. But once, well, what, what happened, how, how I, I left that children's home was a new, a new member of staff come and it changed the atmosphere of the home before it was nice and friendly and when she came and her husband it turned aggressive and there were rules and regulations and bedtimes and you know I didn't I didn't it didn't feel like a home anymore and the husband was quite abusive he used to conk us on the head he, he, he liked to watch the news and when the news was on he said everybody be quiet all aggressive you know so he, he bring aggression into the into our home and it was never like that you know and we were all scared of him you know, because he was quite abrupt and quite big as well. So whenever, whenever the news was on, everybody be quiet. You know, and me, you know, I can't because, you know, I like to talk and joke. So a few times when I started joking, he said, "Come here," and I, you know, I walked up to him and he used to conk us on the head. It's like, oh, 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 you know. So it just changed the whole atmosphere, mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like a home. How did the other kids treat you? No, the other kids were okay. You know. It, you know, we all got on really. We all got on, yeah. You know, and most of the staff got on. But once the, the staff, the worst thing about being in a children's home is, especially for someone like me, it takes me a long time to trust anybody because, you know, most people have come and gone. But so when you trust a member of staff, they become like your mum. And then a year, they go. And then you're deflated again and you feel very sad and very hurt, you know. Then someone else come and you feel happy and you trust them, then they go, you know. So my whole life was one of a pining because I always pined for people who left, you know, or I, I was upset because, you, you know, they left me, you know. So most of my life, it's been people coming in and out and that's been hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was there much beatings? Not, no, not, not in that home. That home was the better home. As I said, it only changed when that man come, Mr. and Mrs. Hines, you know. Then when they come, there wasn't any beatings, but it just changed. And then one day in the morning before school, I had an argument with Mrs. Hines. We was at the table and I don't know what happened, but she said something and I think I told her to fuck off, you know? And she, we had a fight and she's a big fat lady, you know? And she sat on me and put me on the floor. I was 11 at the time. I said, get off you fucking bitch, you know? You know? And anyway, I went to school when I come back, I walked in the way I've always come, through the back door, up the stairs, in the house, I got jumped by three men. I was 11, I was scared, I didn't know what was happening. And they pulled me and dragged me and I was screaming and shouting, I didn't know what was happening, I was upset. They dragged me and pulled me, I said, what the fuck's going on? And I was terrified because I'm being jumped by three grown men. I don't know what's going on. I'm 11. I come, I've come home. This is my home. They dragged me in the car. I couldn't say goodbye to the kids. Couldn't say goodbye to my brothers. I couldn't take my property. I was terrified. I was a kidnapping by the state. They grabbed me, put me in the car and took me to another home up the road. And there they placed me in a new home, a new environment, scary environment. I was the youngest, I was the youngest one in there. I was traumatized, you know. So there I was frightened now in this new home and terrified. And from that moment, my life was hell. It never recovered. And from that moment, it's been terrible. I mean, literally terrible. How so? Well, from that moment, my sweetness, the sweet person seemed to have died, you know? And then the reality of life, uh, you know, you're around 
kids who are older, more aggressive. And, um, you know, you're just lost. There's no... There was no love anyway, but now there's no there's no concern. You you're just a number in in a bigger home because this was a bigger home, halfway up Muswell Hill Road. It was called Grove Lodge at the time, a big white house, and it was a bigger home. There's about thirty kids there, and they're all older, and I was the youngest one there, you know. So they picked on me as well, and I was scared, and I was nervous, and I was traumatized, and I was just I was like a dog in the corner, who's shaking, you know. And I think I lasted two days. And then I ran away. I slept uh, that night in a cardboard box underneath a bridge, scared all on my own. And then I come out of the box and I saw a police car and then I flagged him down and told him, you know, what happened. And he heard a person, he's run away from the children's home and he's me. And then they took me to a different place, um, like a, like a approved school. And they took me there to be... Um, well, to find out where I could be placed next. But that was even worse, you know? So from that moment when I left the safety of 82 Muswell Hill, my life was from one institution to another, to another, to another, to another. Mm -hmm. I didn't settle and everything got worse and worse and worse, you know? See, when you're in these institutes, were you always wanting your mother or father to come and take you home? Well, well you know, my mum and dad, they used to come maybe once a year. And I had to look forward to it. And it was like, I couldn't wait. You know, I really wanted to see them because I talked about them all the time mm -hmm. and I missed them, you know? And the others, you know, they weren't too concerned. The brothers of mine, they weren't too concerned, but it was me, I was really missing mum. And a few times dad said he would come on a certain day and we waited and he didn't come. And f for me, it was devastating. For me, it was really hurtful. You know, he doesn't care, he doesn't love me. Where is he, you know? So, you know, I, I, he let me down about 10 times when he said he was going to come. And for that to happen time and time again for a child who really wants to see his dad is not nice. Not nice. Do you still struggle with that to this day? I forgive him, you know? That's a very brave thing to do. Well, what happened there with him, um, you know, after not seeing him for 40 years or so, my brothers went one by one to see him. And uh, so George went first, the older one, and then maybe three years later, Stephen went, and then Martin went to time after him, and it would be 10 years until I would go. But then I said to George, right, I'm going to write Dad a letter, give it to Dad. If he, if he reads it and he agrees with what's in there, I will come. But if he, if he doesn't, I will not come. So he gave it to Dad first, what I wrote. Dad looked at it and said, yes, I agree. So when George told me he agreed, I went to see Dad in 2015. I hadn't seen him for 40 years. And, um, you know, by this time he's an old man, you know. He, he, I think he had diabetes, frail, you know. So, uh, and, and that time I was big as like that. I was really big like that, you know. So I thought to myself, I don't want him to be afraid of me. I don't want to go there with aggression. So I must humble myself and be submissive in a way, you know? So we knocked on the door on Christmas day and it was always my dream to spend Christmas with my dad. It was my dream and I prayed and I wished and I hoped that one day, Lord God, please grant me Christmas day with my dad. I don't think it's ever gonna happen because I'm filled with her, I'm very upset, he's let me down. He's really hurt me many, many times and he's put me through 18 years of hell. I mean, literally hell. No child should go through that or feel that bad or that low or that sad. But you know what? Uh, it's time to forgive because he's an old man now. 
and I don't and I do not want to be standing at his grave and wish I would have made peace before he died. I'm not going to put myself through that. So I'm going to go humble myself. So he opened the door. I looked at him. I smiled at him and he smiled at me. I put my hand out. He led me into the sitting room. We sat down. I ain't seen him for 40 odd years. We sat down. George was looking at this. My older brother was looking because he, he knows my temperament as well, you know. So George is looking. It's fascinating to see how it's going to pan out. It's either going to go good or go bad. But for me, I said, no, I'm going to be submissive. I'm not going to get excited. I'm not going to go there with malice, even though I should or I could, but I'm not going to do it. He gave me my hand. We sat down. He looked at me. I looked at him. I said, how are you? He went, I'm okay, son. And then he said something. And I said, no. I said, uh, I want to hear something. He looked at me a bit puzzled. He said, I love you. I said, no, that's not what I want to hear. He looked again. And then he said what I wanted to hear. He went, I'm sorry. And that one word let everything go. Everything go. 18 years of hell, hurt, despair, loneliness, sadness, anger, confusion. 18 years of rage. Then words, magical words from my dad. I'm sorry. And I looked at him and said, thank you. And uh, we had Christmas. So we're sitting around the table on Christmas Day. My dad at the head of the table with um, diabetes. My older brother, George, beside me with prostate cancer. My sister opposite me with a tube up her nose because she got a lung disease. And me sitting here with a brain tumour. But it was fine. We all just had a great day. And that's a magical day. So I made up, you know. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the best? Moments in your life where you felt as if the first time you probably had a family? No, I didn't feel like it was a family. I mean, that, that moment is not going to make up for a family. But what it was, it was peace. It was a wish to come true. And it was the full circle. It's come full circle now. My dad is soon going to die. I've made it up. I can, I can carry on. And to be honest with you, I think dad was waiting for me. You know, he saw the others. But when he saw me, his eyes lit up because, you know, I was the one, you know, his favourite. He told me stories about me when I was young, I didn't know. And the way he said it, it was like, yeah, I've missed you more than the other three, you know. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I got. Mm -hmm. So I think when he saw me, he knew he could die, you know. Yeah, like a release. Yeah. See, you've suffered some horrific things in the care home. Like the, yeah. the One of the things was when you were 12 years old. Yes. Well, when I was 12 years old in, in uh, another home up in um, Potter's Bar, you know, beautiful home, stately home, big, massive, lovely home, uh, Northall Place it's called, yeah. And um, that was one of the better homes. That was a lovely home because it was a stately home and the grounds were big. The staff were nice. It was all good and fun. And then it was my birthday. I was 12. And one of the carers, I can't say his name, but one of the carers invited me to his room. He said, Peter, I've got a present for you. And he come to my room. I went all excited because I love presents. You know, I don't, I don't get much kindness. So someone's going to give me a present. It's great. So I went into his room and um, then he, he shut the door and um, he's, he's, I said, where's the present? He said, uh, sit down. And he said it a bit aggressively. And uh, I said, no. And then he kind of pushed me down. And, you know, I'm only 12. So I was a little bit scared. And, uh, well, I was scared. <laughs> I was a lot scared. But um, then he, um, you know, but, well, I, I don't really want to get into the details of it all. But he, he raped me, basically. And, um, you know, it, it, yeah, it wasn't great. So 
you know, that was a difficult time. But the, wor but the worst thing is then I had to see him every day. And he only did it once. But uh, another member stopped. And this was this is so weird. So how I got to be in Northfield Place in the beginning was from from uh, Grove Lodge when I, because I set fire to, <laughs> I forgot to tell you, I set fire to, to a room in Grove, in Grove Lodge and I ran away and hit it and uh, slept in the box. So when the police come, they didn't want me back to Grove Lodge. So they sent me to, the, to this uh, uh, school to get assessed to go to Potter's Bar, right? But when I was in, 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 so the moment I got to Potter's Bar, the moment I got to Potter's Bar, the abuse started because Chris, some guy called Chris, Chris White, he was the owner of the children's home. The moment the other, the other uh, social workers left, he started abusing me. He said, uh, Peter, would you like to have a bath? I said, no, I don't want a bath. He said, no, I think you need to have a bath. I said, what do I need to have a bath for? He said, yes, I want to have a bath with you. Uh, and I, I didn't think I heard right. I, have a bath with, I, I just said, I can't, with me? I said that in my mind. And anyway, I did go and have a bath because I thought to myself, if I, did, if I didn't have a bath, he may send me back to that other horrible home I've just come from. So I said, okay, I'm going to have a bath. So I got in the bath myself and then he went and come back and jumped in the bath as well with me. And, uh, you know, just started having his, you know, his fun. And I was kind of, well, I was terrified and I froze and I didn't know what to do because I just got there and I thought this home was going to be nice. I thought they were going to treat me nice and I thought they were going to be kind. First of all, Peter, you're brave for telling your story, which will help so many others like, for coming here today and obviously opening up. Like, it takes a lot of strength. But how do you then move on from that, Peter, at such a young age? Like, do you become more angry towards the world or do you become more frail and fragile that you just become no, so scared to it? No, at that time, I was 12, and by that time, I've had 12 years of abuse of one kind or another. And it was just abuse after abuse after abuse. If it wasn't being raped or being punched or kicked, it was bad names. So it got to the stage where I just had to take everything because I, I knew it was going to come. So, And I did tell my social workers as well what was going on. But in the 60s, nobody's going to believe somebody in care. You know, my word is shit. It doesn't mean anything. Nobody cares. And I did tell them I was being abused. He used to make me sit on his lap and his dick was hard, hard and he put his hand down my pants in front of the other kids, you know, and I tried to get away. But And I'd tell my social workers and they'd tell me I'm talking rubbish and shit and nobody cared. Nobody was there for us kids because we were all rubbish and we deserved to be there as far as everybody else thought. But it wasn't true because I didn't deserve to be there. I didn't try to kill my mum. My fucking dad tried to kill my mum. Why do I deserve to be there? So basically, no, the abuse just carried on and carried on and I just got used to it. And when did you eventually get out of the care home? When I was 18, on my 18th birthday. Oh. I was free. And what happened then? Oh, all hell broke loose. I mean, if you think that was bad, if you think that was bad, push, it was just hell after that because I left care. I couldn't read or write. I had no skills. I didn't know how to cook, wash my clothes. I didn't know, uh, and I was very timid, very shy. You know, don't forget, I, I, you know, my self-esteem. I mean, what kind of self-esteem do you think I had? Yeah, none. I mean, less than none. Mm -hmm. there, there was no self-esteem there. I mean, nobody ever said kind words. Nobody praised me. Nobody lifted me. Nobody hugged me. So my self-esteem, I was told I was rubbish. I was told I was shit. I was told I'm dirt. 
12 years old, you're going to believe it. So um, when I left care, there was no support. There was nothing. They put me in in a um, a um, council flat up in Muswell Hill. And it was funny because when I walked into this flat, in the kitchen, in the kitchen, yeah, there was the bath was in the kitchen. I thought, what kind of fucking shit is this? You know, so obviously gave me the shittiest flat they could because I'm nobody, you know. Oh, he can go there because he's from the care system. It's that kind of treatment you get, you know. Yeah. So they put me in there and basically it's the first time I'm on my own now. So I'm a, I'm very lonely because I'm on my own. Um, there's nobody supporting me. I can't support myself. I can't cook. I can't cook. Fuck all. Nobody's taught me to cook. Right? I can't read. I can't get any job. I'm, I must be mental because of what I've gone through. So after a few weeks, Muswell Hill, Sainsbury's, I walked in there with a shotgun and held the place up and it all went crazy. And I got caught basically, <laughs> got caught. And that's my first, at 18 was the first time I, no, not the first time I've been, I got arrested somebody else, but that was the major thing. The first major thing, 18 rested, Muswell Hill saying the British shotgun. It wasn't even sawn off, it was fucking longer than me. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? I pulled up there, uh, you know? So and then I got arrested and um, went to, I'm not sure where I went, I went to one prison, but I ended up going to the Old Bailey. So at fucking 18, I'm in the worst court known to man, the old Bailey. I'm in there and they're telling me I'm going to get loads and loads of years. I mean, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But my key card, I had a very good character witness. And he was an older gentleman who used to run one of the homes. He looks like a, a scientist, you know, so he has respect. So when he walked into court, the judge saw him and he's like, you know him? You know, and he got up and said, yes, you know, I'm whoever I am. And um, I've known Peter, he's used to be in my home. And he, he once he punched me in the face. And I thought to myself, what the fuck is he saying? He's supposed to be my character witness. But then he explained it all. He said, no, Peter, nobody's ever, Peter's very emotional. And nobody's ever told him how to handle his emotions. And he did punch me in the face, but it was more from this. He said, this boy here has a no comfort, no love, no guidance, nothing. So how do you expect? He's like a wild child, you know, and his emotions, he's a very emotional boy. And he punched me in the face, not because he wanted to do, but because he couldn't help himself. And he kind of gave it to the judge like that. And the judge looked and he was very impressed. So instead of me getting like 10 years, the judge said, okay, three years. And everybody couldn't believe it because they thought I was going to get loads of years for that. Mm -hmm. So he actually saved me from getting a yeah. lot more bird. See that then, Peter, when you come out at 18, you kind of think you've got freedom, but then yeah. you're more lost. I was lost. Because you're so used to the system that was going to prison then actually a relief, even though it might no, sound crazy no, that you are no, getting I, more structure. No, 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 no. I'm not that kind of... And mm -hmm. believe, believe it or not, right, the 18 years in care, I was never institutionalised. Mm -hmm. I don't believe... No, institutionalised... People become that. People become that. Maybe because they want to. I was never institutionalized. I didn't like the system. I wasn't happy to go back to the system. It didn't do anything for me except abuse me and make me sad. So no, I wasn't glad to be in prison. In fact, I fucking hated it because you're in a cell with some other fucking mug who's trying to think he's, you know. The first geezer I was in with, you know, because... See, most people make a mistake with me, especially when I was young. Because I speak like this and I'm gently spoken, mm -hmm. they make the biggest mistake and they all make it. They think, oh, he must be a cunt. He speaks so softly, you know? What they don't realise is I'm a very vicious a bit of work when I have to be. I don't like to show it because, um, you know, it, it, it is, well, it can be, well, it's terrible. Once you see it, 
you see it. So I know. So I don't want anybody to see it. But because I've spoken on it, so I was in a cell with him, and uh, you know, he said some. He was kind of running the cell. I put something there. He said, "Hey, mate, put it over there." So I didn't want to trouble with my soulmate. I'm trying to get on with him, so I put it over there. And then I went to lay down. He said, "Hey, listen, don't lay on there. I'm going to get there, and you're going to get up there." And I looked at him, and then I said to myself, I had to say to myself, "Calm yourself, calm yourself." You know, I said, "Listen, mate, I was in there first. I'm going down there." You're going up there. And then he got up and tried to give it. And then I had to give him one punch in his face. And then he realized what time it was. So I said, there you go. You know, then in the morning, it was funny because in the morning when the screw opened the door and saw a black eye, the screw looked at him, looked at me and said to him, Oi, son, what happened? But the screw was looking at me at the same time. I was looking the screw right in the eye. And then I was looking at him. And he went, I fell over, sir. I went, yes, there you go. Mm -hmm. You know? So, see when you were doing that as well, did you feel as if you had some sort of power, especially not having any at 12 years old, no. where you had no control, but then when you started getting a bit older, mm. a bit more violent, did you feel as if no, nobody no. could hurt you anymore? No, no, no. I never was on a power trip because it, that's not what I'm about. That's people who maybe are weak, who think they have to prove something. I know who I am. I've known from day one who I am. That's why the system couldn't break me. That's why they couldn't really fucking break me. They made me sad and they made me cry and made me angry. They couldn't break me. Nobody can break me because I know who I am. So it's not about power because I know my power. I know when I turn it on, I can turn it on. But I don't want anybody to see the power. I'm happy for nobody to see the power. I'm saying, how you doing, my friend? What's going on? Are you okay? Everything all right? And I'm talking to everybody and I get on with everybody. I was one of the most liked people because I'm very talkative and I'm very friendly and I'm very open and people come to me and they, I, I, I've got good, char good character. I can joke and be funny. But when someone takes this for granted or thinks, oh, you know what, he can't be serious. Then I say, I say, come on then, I'll show you some serious shit. And then when I, sh I show them, they realise they made a big mistake. So mm. no, because I, cause I knew how powerful I was, I was very confident with every aspect, even the screws. I had some run-ins with the screws. I'd run in with the police. I'd run in with, with everybody. If it's 10 to 1, I say, if I'm mad enough and crazy enough, if it's 10 to 1, I say, come on. And they all knew it. And many times that I'm outnumbered, I say, come on, let's, let's go. You know, because when it's time to go, it's time to go. But we'd rather not go. Because mm -hmm. you, you must be what now, about 18, 19 stone? Uh, well, my friend weighed me the other day. I'm... Um, um, 18 stone, yeah, but it's rubbish at the moment. It's not It's not like it is in the picture, you know. At the moment, it's, it's crap, you know. I'm I'm in the gym now. Well, I have a brain tumour, uh, but I'm in the gym I'm in the gym every day at 7 o'clock for two hours in the day. And sometimes I go in the afternoon. So I'm just getting... Because the thing was, when I went to prison, yeah, in 2015, the day before, I was going on holiday to Mykonos. My body was ripped. I was cut. I was on a bit of juice. It's a no excuse when you're on juice. I was mean, looking good, ripped, cut. The body was looking fit. I mean, believe me, the, the guns, these, these guns, 21 ripped. People were going crazy, you know? So anyway, so I was looking great. But then the day before I was going on holiday, something terrible. I can't get into this thing because my friend will be listening to this and it's, it's very bad what happened. And he, he's a sweetheart and he doesn't deserve anything, you know. So I can't talk about what happened. It would be in the book, but something terrible. I mean, terrible, so terrible happened. And um, it will be in the book. And when people read it, they're not going to believe it. But something really terrible. It wasn't, it wasn't his fault. It, it was my fault. But it was because of what I've been through. It was something snapped 
and something happened. So I went, I went, I went to prison. But when I walked into prison, even even the prison officer said, "My God, why do you need to look like that?" I said, "Listen, don't worry about how I need to look. I'm not in here for you to tell me how I need to look." Because he thought he was big to screw. You know, he said, "Why do you need to look?" I said, "What's it got to do with you?" I said, "Got nothing to do with you. I'm not here for you to abuse me." Oh no, I told him. I tell him the business. I don't. I don't suffer any shit. You know, but I, but but because I'm in prison, I know I can't go crazy. But verbally, I can speak my mind. Because if I can't speak my mind, I won't be the person I am today. And I don't care who you are. When I was in the prison, I was the only one openly gay. Only one. Only one. Everybody else hides. And in the beginning, they gave me a rough time. All the everybody, the yardies, and everybody. But guess what? When I left, everybody said, "Mr. Mr. Even the screws said, Peter." you are the most respected person in it and the most liked person in it because I tell them how it is, mm -hmm. you know? See, after your three years, Peter, what did you do? What, when I got out? Yeah. Well, like, I've only just been out three years now. No, when they shotgun in Sainsbury's oh, yeah. many years ago. Oh, well, when I got out from then? Yeah, your first three years at 18. It's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. <laughs> so much trauma has happened. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think, uh, I, well, I can't tell you exactly because it's a long time ago and so much has happened. But obviously I just got back. Oh, I got back into the system and then I found the gym. The gym. I boxed for a while, had three fights in the ring. Lost one, disqualified one, and uh, drawed one. Yeah. You know, so then I realised I'm not going to be a great boxer. I'm not going to be the world champion. I thought I was going to be world champion. <laughs> you know, the moment you get punched in the face, you realise you're not going to be any world champion. Especially when you smell that blood and, you, you know, boof, and you get, and you, and you see the stars, you know. I thought, you know what, I don't need to get punched in the face to earn a living. So then I, I got into bouncing, doing security, and everybody hired me. And uh, I did a bit of work with Lenny McLean. I don't even know Lenny McLean passed yeah, away. Cobbles. Yeah, did it at Mickey Fiel. Didn't know Mickey Fiel, yep. all that lot. So I did uh, Scorpion Security. I did some work for them and then we just went around working on the door. And in them days, you didn't need a badge. You didn't need, so you had all everybody on there and we all laugh and having great mm. fun. And of all the bouncers, I was the best light because what used to happen was, if there was trouble, they used to say, Peter, go over and talk them out because they know I go and talk to them. So I walk over to them and say, hello, my friends. Hello, my friends. So there's no need for anybody to get upset. Hello, my friends. How are you? Listen, you're making a bit of a noise and there's been complaints over there. Please, for, for my sake, for my sake, but it's their sake, really. For my sake, can you just quiet down a bit? Most of the time, they say yes, but sometimes they say, well, you the fuck are you the fuck? I say, excuse me? Where you the fuck? I say, my friends. And then all the A-team will come and, and bust them up, and then they realise who the fuck we are, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, but when I was doing security, my, my goal was never to hurt people, never to intimidate people, and to welcome people. But the moment they wanted to dance and wanted to misbehave, then we have to give them a good uh, bit of what they want. What was Lionel McLean like? Is he as tough as people say? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, I'm not scared of many people, but when you see him, because he, he looks the part as well, six foot two, broad, thick, caveman style, troglodyte, fingers thick like that, knuckles fucking like that, fists fucking like that, tall, and he, he said, uh, how are you doing, son? I went, oh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm okay. He said, come here. So I walked over to him. He said, "Yeah, you got a great physique." I said, "Frank." He said, "Can you get me some gear?" I went, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> you know, and um, we did a few jobs for him. And it's funny because because when we're walking down the road, he said, "All right, boys, all behind me." So we all have to walk behind him. He's in front and he's walking like this, you know. And um, I found him okay, 
but I didn't want to be around him too much because he's very dangerous. Because he's, I mean, I hate to speak badly of the dead because he's dead. Sorry about that. Oh, he could be dead. Yeah, could be. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, who knows? But you know, when he when he goes, he goes. You could have a joke with him, and then all of a sudden he wouldn't like the joke. And I remember a doorman calling him Pops, Pops. How you doing, Pops? American guy, big American guy. How you doing, Pops? Tapping like this. And I could see McLean didn't like that just for his face. And I think it played on him. Pops, old man, passed it. Mm. That's what he thought. Yeah. Two hours later, he called him in the room and battered him and smashed him up. Who you calling fucking Pops? You can't have fucking Pops. So I didn't want too much to do with him. He was more uh, Mickey Fio's friend. And Mickey Fio's a friend of mine. And Mickey said, yeah, come, Peter. We've got a bit of work, you know. On, on the door, me, you, and Lenny. So, uh, yeah, I worked with him about, about three or four times. How many different doors did you work, Peter? Uh, oof, well, I started when I was 21 in Turnpike Lane. What was that like? Um, I was new to it. And uh, in them days, it was okay. I had a lot of respect because people knew me, they knew me in that area. It's my area. So if I'm working on the door, they know they behave themselves, you know? And a lot of my friends come here. I used to be an Arsenal, you know, I was one of the Arsenal. Hooligans? Uh, yeah, I was one of the hooligans. I was one of the, I was one of the, I'm not proud of it, but I was one of the top boys there. So I'm known by all the Arsenal, all the Tottenham and the West Ham and Cass from West Ham. And all Cass. Yeah, well, it, he saved my life one time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he saved my life because we, Arsenal, went into their end. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you even know uh, Denton who died. Denton. Oh, he's at Arsenal, the bear. Yeah, he's very maybe No, you look him up. Mm -hmm. Anyway. We all went in there and he was one he was one of the top guys, right? We all went in there end, and there's only about a hundred of us. We went up the stairs, I'm standing behind him, and the hundred standing behind me, and Denton says, The Arsenal. And I look at Denton thinking, you fucking cunt. And we're in their end, and all these dockers come and they steam into us. We're outnumbered 50 to 1. Everybody's on the floor, everybody's smashed, I'm the last one standing. But they're coming towards me. I'm backing off because I'm, 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 but I'm backing off against the, the the door there. I'm in for it. Suddenly, I hear, "Leave him alone." He's Gerald. He's my friend. And this was Cass. He's the leader. He said, "Peter, fuck off, go on." So he saved me. I said, yeah. "You know," because I've had yeah. Frank Bruno on as well. Oh, really? And uh, Cass has yeah. saved Frank. Oh, he saved Frank. Yeah, because Frank Bruno had, was getting picked on at a train station. You were, what, really? Yeah, Frank, yeah, he was only a young kid, had like skates on at the mm, time, and, mm. and Cass told him to fuck off, leave him alone, to pull blades out on him. So he said, Cass is a nice, nice yeah. man, dangerous bastard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met him, I think I met him in, in Borstal, DC. Yeah. Borstal, DC, because when I was 16, I went to send DC. Mm -hmm. Fucking hell. <sighs> Mad. I mean, they really abuse you. It's like being in the army. MBBs and jumping around until you're sick and they, you know, do really bad things to kids in there. They actually torture you and, and the government, yeah, yeah, go on, you know? So uh, I think I met him in there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just released another book, Cass. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So you ended up like, fucking hell, Peter, man, your, your story goes deep. Oh, yeah. It's all do you know what I mean? Like, this is not even it. This is not even anything. Yeah, so. See, it's, no, no, but people don't realise with me. When they see me, they don't mm -hmm. know what shit. Yeah, you've been through. They don't know what shit, mm -hmm. you know? This is why these interviews are so good, though. Yeah. Because there's so many people who see it and people get an understanding yeah. of you, Peter. Yeah. Why you've done what you've done or why you get involved in what involved is to understand the pain and misery yeah. and trauma, why it triggers uh, people to do bad. Listen, yeah. at the end of the day, we all have choices, Peter. Yes. Yeah. But some people can't control their emotions when they've been tortured and terrorised for such a young life. Well, you see, what people have to realise about trauma, that when it happens to a child a young child, it can only go 
one place and that's into your DNA and in there it will stay. When it happens to an older person, you can shield yourself from it, you have friends to protect you, you can rationalise it, you can understand it. It happened to me from eight months, where is that going to go? No, I can't rationalise it. All I can do is feel it. And where is it going to go? It's going to go into my DNA. And because I'm highly sensitive, it goes into every molecule and atom. So from my toes to my head, I'm full of trauma. I'm full of adversity. This is the reason why I'm always crying. I can cry at the slightest thing because it wants to come out. Yeah. If it wasn't for the gym, if it wasn't for me training in the gym, I would either be dead in a mental hospital or I would have fucking killed everyone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a dangerous place to be in it. Oh, it's dangerous. Yeah, but but I know that. I'm 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 not a dangerous person, but everybody can be dangerous. Everybody. Yeah. If the right buttons are pushed, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Everybody you know, should check no, out. 100%. And all these people say, nah, nah, they're talking bollocks. Mm-hmm. You know? So how did you end up in the football casual scene? Oh, well, well, well this is another story. Um, <clears throat> well, in them days, the Archway lot, we used to call ourselves the Archway Suicide Squad and uh, young guys, you know, and we all got together. But the reason, the, well, the real reason, all right, folks, you're going to find out all your Arsenal lot watching this or in this, you're going to find out the real reason why I was one of you. Because a lot of my Arsenal friends were good looking and I was, <laughs> and I was gay. <laughs> I mean, I was shocked. And I see that one over there, blonde, blue eyed, wow. That one over there, look at him. And they wore tight jeans and they looked hot and nice. So I went around <laughs> there basically to, to, you know, and they all liked me. They loved me. They loved my character, loved the way I was going on. They didn't know I was gay, but I, so I went, I went over there. And don't forget, I had no family. They were my family. So for me, it was more of a family thing. But at the same time, I used to eye them all up. But I can do that. Oh, beautiful, beautiful boys, beautiful boys. <laughs> yeah. So eventually they all found out I was gay. <laughs> and most of them were okay. One or two fucking uh, this. I said, well, you know, the one who said, fuck this. Tell him to come up to my face and say, fuck this. I, I beg him. I wish he would come. I'm, I want him to come. Who was that, Peter, coming out in like the 80s and stuff? Was that, that must have been a difficult thing. Listen, Because even people struggle with it now, 2022. Difficult. Listen, the whole existence being difficult. So that was just another layer on top of the difficult, difficult, difficult. <laughs> so it, for me, yeah. it, I say bring it on. It was coming from every angle. The difficultness has mm. been there from eight months. So that was just another difficult situation. Do you think you're, you're just so used to that anyway? What, difficult? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, anybody can do anything to me. And it, it, if it's really bad, I will be sad and I may cry. Mm-hmm. But see, right, this is the thing. Because I'm writing my book... I'm reading a lot of reports from yesterday. So I read a school report the other day, and this is what it said. And I was six at the time. It said, Peter does not conform to formal discipline, right? But the moment you show him any kindness, you have him eating out of your hand. And this is how it is today. If you're horrible to me, you say bad words to me, I'm, I'm used to it. The moment you show me kindness, I'll start crying. I will cry. I'm like, thank you so much and this is why I've been crying all week because my my video has gone viral I mean me how's it possible that I go viral but I'm getting so much love I get so much love from everybody I'm not used to love and kindness you know before I come here I had um, I didn't know about this but um, what do you call it um, wish list the wish list yeah. yeah I don't know anything about that right people give you things yeah so seeing I've been on this week because this why it's only Sunday I posted it right mm-hmm. so it's only Sunday people are knowing who I am 
even though I've been around for a long time, right? It's only now they know who I am. So my friend, because I don't, I'm not good on computers. So my friend's helping me with all this and that, right? So he said, oh yeah, people are asking what they can, I can get you. They can get you on this wish list. I said, what do you mean wish list? What are you wishing for what? What's going on? He said, you can wish for stuff. I said, yeah, I can wish for things. Oh my God, this is great. You know, so I, I did 14 things I want to wish for. Nothing too expensive. I still haven't got the watch, the big watch yet. So... <laughs> maybe maybe someone you know an, an iphone yeah yeah mm -hmm. anyway right so um before i come here right i missed the bus right so i put fuck it the phone rang oh i'm outside your house this is um who are they called uh um the big company who do all the stuff amazon yeah it's amazon driver i said what do you want he said i've got fucking a fan load of parcels for you i said what for me where's it come from he said, come. I said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. I went there. I'm a, the, night, he, the driver said to me, he said, because he looked at me and, it, and then he got it. He got it. He got it. He got it in two minutes. All right. Because I, I said something to him. I said, I posted a video innocently on there, not thinking anybody would watch it because I posted it for the politicians because I want to tell these politicians they're not behaving themselves. It's really terrible what they're doing, you know, it's for the rich, not for the poor. And I'm born here, you know, and I, I didn't get any help at all. And now you're making me suffer because of your choices. So I posted it and didn't think anything of it. So when I turned on the, the computer and I'm getting all this love and people going crazy, I start crying. I think myself, oh my God, these people have really been kind to me. It's nice. So anyway, so when I, when I left here, when I go back tonight, I've got 95 packages to open. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm going to film it later on and put it on my TikTok and thank everybody because it's wonderful. Yeah, people are kind though. People, even though people are struggling themselves. See, the thing is, people are all battling. We're all struggling. Yeah. No matter yes. what anybody looks at their appearance. Yeah. Even speaking to you on the phone, very friendly, very nice. Mm. You would never know the depth of your story of being abused, being a football hooligan, being a tough man, being in prison, holding what? shotguns, crying every fucking day like every day i'm crying i'm this is one of my biggest wish for maybe next year to not cry for a whole year if i could not cry or or maybe i can cry but happy tears yeah this is my dream i want to cry happy tears like if my book my biggest dream is to have my book published i've had three ghostwriters nobody can write it because it's so extreme mm -hmm. uh, i don't have any money at the moment but it's my biggest wish to have these books done because not only are they healing me very therapeutic and I'm learning about myself more. I never knew I was a highly sensitive person. Not sensitive. I never knew I was a highly sensitive person. It's a trait only 15% population mm -hmm. have. I didn't know that. Until when? Huh? When did you find out? Well, when I was in prison. So when I was in prison... You, in, did you do courses and stuff? No. I was the, uh, fucking courses. These fucking... Now, these... Sorry, my language. Okay, sorry. you spell? Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These fucking cunts, right? These fucking pieces of trash, not all of them... Right, because some prison officers are okay. I was in. I ended up in only prison, only, yeah. And uh, so I'm in only prison now. And uh, I made a decision before I went to prison. I had to make a decision. I said to myself, "I'm going to humble and crumble." I'm not used to humble and crumble, which means basically I'm going to humble myself and crumble if someone's in my face, but not too badly, you know. So in other words, where my temperament would normally be, fucking let's rock and roll. I fucking not, you know. When people were abusive or, or say horrible things, I pretend I didn't hear. So that's what I mean by humble or crumble. But um, so when it comes to the officers, though, I said to myself, if they're going to be disrespectful, I will be disrespectful for verbally. Yeah. So, they, so there's one officer, 
particular, yeah, fucking piece of crap. He's a small guy, small, you know, syndrome, you know. And uh, he said, oh, he said, you need to do a course. I said, excuse me? He said, you need to do a course. I said, listen, I said, listen, I don't need to do any course. He said, you need to do a course if you want to go to DCAT, yeah? You know DCAT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, guess what? He went, he went what? I said, I'm not going DCAT. You know, so, you know, I wasn't prepared. To, I wasn't, was not prepared to do this course to go to DCAT, where most of these hardcore prisoners, so they hardcore, they sell their mum to fucking go DCAT. The way they were whining and moaning, and these were supposed to be gangsters, do fucking this. Oh, sir, what do I need to do to go DCAT? And I looked at them with so much disdain. I thought, you're supposed to be the tough armed robber and you're this and that, and yet you're begging him for DCAT. I'm not begging any officer. So this officer put me on, on the course and he wrote to the prison for me to do this uh, course. So the prison wrote to me and said, okay, Mr. Gerard, we're going to be shipped to this prison to, to do the course. Oh, when I got that note, I was fuming, really mad. I thought, the motherfucker. So I wrote to the prison. I, in no uncertain terms, I wrote to that prison. I said, guess what? You can bring a horse to water, but if the horse I want to drink is not drinking, and I'm not going to engage with your course because I know I don't need it. I said, I'm a big grown man, and you people are not qualified to tell me what course I need to do. So if I do go to your prison be noticed I will not be doing it and I don't care what the consequences is I said you can put me in that block don't feed me don't give me fuck all starve me but I'm not for turning I said you will not take away my dignity now you can take everything away from me you can put me in prison you can even try to bend me up if you wish but I still will not be doing the course do you get it and then they wrote to me said all right Mr. Joe you, you don't need to do the course you know mm -hmm. so even in prison I'm gonna have my dignity Right, prime example. I was in court, right? You know the sweat boxes? Yeah. I hate sweat boxes. Dog boxes. I have claustrophobia. Mm -hmm. I mean, terribly. I mean, terrible, right? So the moment I get locked in the box, I start sweating and panicking and, and shaking. And it's really a terrible scene. I mean, if you, if you actually saw me in there, you'd feel sorry for me. It's not nice, yeah? And this happened to me 20 times and I was tra traumatized. So when I was in the court and I come back, we're in the cell, about six of us, and the officers come in and say, okay, everybody up go into the sweat box and all the others got up like pussies and went in there and they said oh, all right get up peter i said no that's what you mean no i said no i said what you mean no i said first of all i say clearly so they understand i say listen i will say listen because i want to get the attention i said listen i'm scared i have cosmophobia i said i'm nervous i said i don't like it it's, it traumatizes me i said i can't go in there they said, what do you mean you can't go in? I said, I've just told you, you don't understand English. So he went out and slammed the door. And 10 minutes later, 10 of them walked in, you know, looked like they were trying to intimidate me. But I'm not for intimidating. I mean, I was scared, but I'm not showing it, you know. So I'm looking at them. They said, yeah, you need to get in the van. I said, no. I said, what do you mean no? I said, I've already told him. I said, listen, I am a human being, no? I said, I'm traumatized, I said, I'm scared. I said, I don't like it, it's not good for me. I said, what I would like you to do, and I'm polite, I said, what I would like you to do is to get the, the, the sweat box that is bigger with the air con, you know? And lucky, I think I appealed to one of them. He went, okay. And they went and got the, the bigger one, mm -hmm. you know? So this is humanity, you know? And you know who gave me the strength? Do you know who gave me the, the strength to do that? Um, is it Josephine Bate? Um, Who's that black lady, 1955, who refused to go to the back of the bus? Oh, 
Mother Parks or something? Yeah, something Parks. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks. I thought Rosa Parks in 1955 in Mississippi, she must have been scared. These big white men intimidated. They could have killed her. I thought if she can front it up, I can do it all these years later. So she gave me the power to say, I'm not. So she she refused in 1955 to go to the back of the bus. In 2015, I refused to get on the bus. And she gave me the gusto to do that. How long were you a football hooligan for? One, two, three, about three years. Oh, quite short then. Did you ever come across Big Baz Bannington? Who? Zulu? No. One Eye Baz? Uh, Kickbox, uh, I just passed away. God rest his soul. Yeah, no, who, uh, who, who does he support? What team? Birmingham. No, I, I didn't go to Birmingham. Uh, no. I had Baz on and I've had Bill Gardner on. He was West yeah. Ham top boy. Yeah. Uh, but what was your toughest scrap? Well, believe it or not, I really, now, I was a football hooligan, but I really didn't do anything. I really, I really, I can't remember really doing anything. I was more... For some reason, everybody thought, I mean, I, I am, but everybody thought I was fucking the bees knees, like really tough. But I can't remember, I can't remember fight because they were all fighting. I was more, no, I didn't really fight. And and I don't know how I got away with it, but I didn't want to fight because that's not me. If someone was in my face, I'll fight. So no, I didn't, I personally didn't fight. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. And I was a football hooligan and I didn't fight. What happened after that then? After that, um... I started getting into security. Just doing the doors still? Doing the doors. What was the toughest door you worked on? Not in this country. Where did you work? I worked um, in Oslo, the Moroccas, in Hells Angels. I went into one bar full of Hells Angels. I'm the only black, I'm black. I'm walking in, they were looking at me like this. Who are you? I said, I'm the fucking doorman. What do you mean you're doorman? I'm the fucking doorman. You know, and it's like, it all went round and these are like, you know, scary looking dudes. I mean, I was scared. I'm always scared, but I never show it. I never show it because I know the moment you show any scaredness, you're fucked. So I said, I'm the fucking doorman. I'm shitting myself. I'm the fucking doorman. It's an act. You're going to act. I'm the fucking doorman. They think, fucking hell, he's black and he's here on his own. He must be mad, you know? So you play the role. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm going to fucking, yeah, there, there. And then once I leave, I'm like, oh, fuck, you know? You know? So yeah, in, in Oslo, it was, it was, uh, it was tough. Um, uh, yeah, no, I didn't, and I can, and I, I'm very proud of myself because in, in maybe the 25 years, 30 years I was doing door work, I never, never really hurt anybody. You know, I, I had to hit a few people, of course, but I never hurt anybody where some of the doormen really relished it and loved it and, and were mm. bullies, but I prefer to talk to them. I yeah. prefer, I prefer to talk to everybody. Yeah. What, what triggers then your violence, Peter? Well, so, right now, through instances, like for instance, I moved into a flat up in Hackney in in about uh, 1999. Moved into this flat. I was on the second from top floor. Put all my stuff, renting it from a friend. Put all my stuff up. Sat back, looked at all my stuff. Suddenly, everything falls on the floor. Everything falls on the floor and the flat starts to shake. I fucking think to myself, oh my God, we're having an earthquake up in Hackney. Shit, what's fucking going on? <laughs> Two seconds later, I look up, the ceiling's vibrating. I think, hold on, it's a fucking cunt up there playing the bass so loud, the whole block is shaking. I say to myself, wow, this is unbelievable. So I'm in my flat now, looking at everything shaking on the floor. Now, this is what I say to myself. I say, well, you've only just moved in here. Can you put up with that or not? And then I said, no. So if I can't put up with it, what have I got to do? I've got to go upstairs and confront him, right? Mm -hmm. So I said, 
all right, here we go. I don't know who's up there, but he must have been mad cunt playing the music like that and not giving a fuck. So I go upstairs and bang on the fucking door, top floor. Bang on the fucking door, bang, fucking bang, bang. And this black guy opens and slammed the door with a weapon, man. And I'm looking at him. Uh, I don't want to say anything further. I'm going to look at the cunt. And he's looking at me. I say, listen, you fucking cunt. See me? He's seeing me now, and now he's seeing me because I, I make sure he see everything proper, you know. I see me. I've just moved in fucking downstairs and I can't put up with this shit. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be quiet from now on or are we going to go right this minute? And I already knew what I was going to do because we was on the fourth floor. I was going to pick him up and chuck him over. No hesitation. The moment he would have made a step, he would have gone over there. That was my plan. That was going to happen. So I'm waiting for him. I'm looking at him and I can see the fear in his eyes creeping up. He went, okay, okay. I said, well, make fucking sure. And I didn't hear from that again. So normally when people misbehave or when people have been rude, some guy was playing Paul in Archway, one of the, one of the the bars and the pool stick keep hitting my ass wherever I moved around. It hit me three times on the ass. And then I turned and said, Hey, my friend, see, my friend, always friend. I don't want to, my friend, please have a bit of manners because you know, he said, What do you mean? What do you mean, manners? He rolled up like this and I just, Pah! so that's when it, I, when people in my face, when, I, when there's no talking, I mean, if you're going to go, yeah, 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 then I, it's on. I'm not going to, you know, like now they push each other like, like yeah, girls. Yeah. We don't do any pushing. The moment there's disrespect, on a bad level or a bad look, I'm from the old school, don't forget. So we don't, we're not gonna do the talking, we're gonna do the business. Mm -hmm. And I had the most respect for everybody because everybody knew that. They said, you know what, Peter's actually a good laugh, but you know, don't get too excited with him, you know, because you, you know, he's not gonna Fuck be great. Yeah. What about relationships, Peter? You ever had a relationship? Yeah, well, I crave, I crave love. I'm craving for love. You know, love is, for care leavers, for people who haven't been in care, love is the number one, you know? For normal people, obviously they want love, but it's heightened for people who never had love. So for me, I I prayed, I didn't fall in love with some. See the thing is, because I because when I was young, I had the body. You see the body. Yeah. The body was a god. Show me that photo so I can put up yeah. on the screen. Oh yeah. You were fucking ripped, yeah. man. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but it wasn't only ripped. It wasn't only ripped. That shape. See what I did. See when I started training. Because see, it's me. Because look, you can see the thing there. Yeah, yeah. You can see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but no, see. Bodybuilders, what the biggest mistake I think a lot of them make, they put too much muscle that the frame can't carry. Now, if you want to be a monster, you can be a monster, but monsters don't look great. You can't mm. walk, they're fat, they're out of shape, they've got no abs, they look terrible, I think, personally. I didn't want to be a monster. I wanted, my goal in the beginning was to have one of the most beautiful physiques in the world, in the world, and that's what I trained for. So I trained for symmetry, proportion, aesthetics. I trained for beauty. And in my day, when I got it all right, you see here, mm. I walk anywhere in the world, in the world, and every jaw is dropped, straight or gay or whatever, woman or man, because I was beautiful looking there. I carried it with grace. I didn't bring braggadocious. I was nice. So for me, I wanted to have a great physique because I knew if I had a good physique, I'd be attractive to people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I trained hard. That's one of the reasons. So for me, I trained for my mental state. And I trained to be attractive. All my life, people said I'm not attractive when I was young. I didn't get any attention. Uh, they're telling me bad things about myself. So my esteem was bad. So I had to build up my esteem. And the only way I knew was first looking like a god. Mm. And looking like that, people said, you know. Is that also a protection as well to be big? To, what, 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 instead of, the, obviously, the attraction is yeah. an appeal as yeah. well. But 
Like, so if you're being abused as a kid to then be big and strong, you know, you could have some power that nobody could hurt you. Uh, that but wasn't foremost in my never, mind. No, no never. Because I, I, mm-hmm. the thing is, muscles or not, I'm good to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm good to go. So mm. it doesn't matter for me. So I never... But a lot of guys now, when they train, when they lose, when they come to juice, they lose a bit of gear, they get so timid. You know, I've lost two inches of my arm. I lost a centimetre of my arm. I fucking get over it, you know? What weight were you? What, my biggest or, yeah. or, or, well, bulky or in shape? Bulking. Bulky. 20, 21 stone. About 22 stone. But, that's big though, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, but looked like a fucking sumo wrestler. Mm-hmm. Didn't look great. <laughs> but no, but there, there you can see everything's tight and it's ripped and yeah. everything. I'm about 16 stone. But the thing with me is my guns. I mean, you know, yeah. e- even, even I stood, one day I stood in Wembley against the best bodybuilder in the world at the time, Flex Wheeler. Mm-hmm. best bodybuilder in the world I wanted to see him so I walked up to him and I saw him there and I looked at him and I was I wanted to see if I could find a fault so I walked around him looked at him and up and down he looked at me and I, and I couldn't find a fault I mean he looked great right? so me and Flex are talking now and the audience are coming up and talking to me and they say well no no they said, Flex. And they all come up they're not talking to Flex they're talking to me so Flex says to me um, who are you thinking I'm somebody I said I'm nobody I said I've come to see you so he said do you mind standing over there I said, excuse me? I said, why? He said, because you're making me look bad. And this was the best bodybuilder in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so it proved that I did look great. Yeah. You know? So relationships, Peter, what's your longest relationship? Oh, yeah, well, my longest... Do you struggle with love? What do you mean by struggle? Just accepting it or no. trying to be in love? See, I'm completely different. You'd think, having no love, you'd think I'm not, I, 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 can't, I can't give love. Mm-hmm. No, I give love better than anybody. What's your longest relationship? Uh, for maybe four or five years. That's quite long. It's quite long. It's quite long. Um, and but, how, are you, how are you in relationships? Do you struggle with abandonment no, issues oh, or do you no, get jealous, well, possessive? Now, this is, no, I don't have any of that, but I do have one thing and this got me in trouble. This is part of the thing that I can't talk about. Mm-hmm. This got me in trouble. When people are leaving me, then something happens mentally to me. I don't know what it is. I like to find out something happens to me mentally. I think, trying to work it out myself, I think it's because um, when one person who, who who I have an emotional connection with, somebody have feelings for deep feelings, when they abandoned me, it's very hurtful, and I I I, I will cry. I feel very upset. I feel very abandonment. But I think I feel the abandonment of all the other people at the same time. So as the magnitude is terrible because I'm feeling. His abandonment, and then I'm feeling the abandonment of my parents, uh, the children, uh, the staff, and everybody. So it's it's triple, 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 and I have some kind of mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. yeah. How many different prisons you been in, Peter? Oh, prisons. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, about seven. So a long time you've been institutionalised and in no, no, but no, well, the, no. It's a children's home was worse. Yeah, fuck the prisons. You, you, was the prisons easier for you? No, it was all hard. It was all hard. It was what all was hard. the worst prison you've been in? Yeah, but what do you mean by worse? Just like, did you were they just oh, all the same well, to you? No, no. I tell you what, fucking them London prisons, Pentonville and Wandsworth, and fucking disgusting. You put human being in there, mm. and then they had the audacity to to complain when we act like animals. We're treated like animals. They put you in there. Well, I, I actually wrote a poem 
about prison. It's the same. I, I, I call it disgusting soup, you know. And um, when people, when I read to people, they all laugh. And it's disgusting. The, the, sometimes you're going to have a shower for a week. The food is disgusting. You're under so much stress. You're in a small confinement. You have to shit in there. And then they, they, the screws and the government have the audacity to say, oh, you act like animals, you, you're, you're hitting officers. Of course you're going to be hitting officers when you're confined and, you, and, and you're waiting for your case and you, you've got stress on you. Of course you are. If they're not going to treat you properly, they're going to get it. What's your biggest sentence? The biggest what? Sentence. Oh, no, this last one, uh, eight years. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, 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 but then I did a plea bargain and I dropped it down to something else, you know? Yeah, so... What happened there? Can you talk about that? No, no, that that's personal between me and my friend. I can't do that one yeah. at the moment. So how hard is that for you, Peter? Like, from a man who's, like you say, when you speak to him, you'd think very loving, caring when I speak to him on the phone, but you've, yeah. you've been through so much as a kid to then, it's also clear not a man to be fucked with either, like, because if you lose it, you lose it. Yeah. But does that scare you sometimes that you've got that viciousness in you? Well, yes, but I've, um, I've always actually, well, to be honest with you, the thing I'm most proud of, and it may sound a bit weird, but after all I've been through, the thing I'm most proud of is I didn't kill anybody with my bare hands because it would have been up close and personal, you know, and it, it, I, I did almost come a few times. So, you know, when people do you that harm, especially when you're young and when people misbehave, you know, so I'm proud that I didn't do that. You know, that's for me, that would be one of the, I'm proud of that and I'm proud that I'm still very loving. I'm still very caring, still very loving, and I'm still, I'm a sweet person. Everybody calls me, they call me sweet muscle, you know? So I still have that sweetness. If I didn't tell you these stories, you would have thought, some, oh, look at him, right? No. No? No, I'm a good judge of character. You, no, no, you know, because I tell you what, nobody sees the side. No, but I, but I can on. also feel the energy and the power, and I can also see, trust, like I've interviewed 300 people, so yeah. I've always got a good understanding of people. I didn't realise the extent of the hooliganism and the doors and stuff like that, but you're a very gentle man. I can feel that, but... Okay, okay, if you, I, say, if you say so. Like energy, everything's energies, yeah. I believe. Mm -hmm. Everything's energies. I've interviewed a guy from the IRA, a loving stone. Yeah. Wouldn't think nothing of it, yeah. but you just know. You know, Don't yeah. fuck with him. No, but yeah, but yeah, but with me, no, most people don't know. Yeah. Most people, and I like it that way. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know. Um, I was in Spain one time, and I was with a gorgeous guy. And um, the moment we got there, everybody was on his case because he's really beautiful. He's with me. I didn't mind. I wasn't jealous because I knew he wanted me. But so a lot of them, we were dancing. And a lot of these guys were around him. And I wasn't really jealous, but it annoyed me, right? But I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to cause a scene with him, right? Because he liked, he liked it a bit. But the next night, I had a big fight in the club because this... This big Spanish guy come up to me. He's a little bit drunk, and he need me in the in the ribs there, and it hurt. So I looked to him, tall guy, and I did it back to him. He didn't like that, obviously. So he come towards me. I mean, I'm in Amnesia, one of the best clubs yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, great club, up. good night, rocking, really enjoying myself. I'm known from the, you know having a great time. Suddenly, this guy comes up to me and wants to beat me up, right? So he's walking towards me, and I'm walking back, but I've got my hands up because I want him to see that I'm no threat. So. As he's walking towards me, I'm walking back. Now it's like two gladiators. The circle's getting bigger and everybody can see what's happening because I'm massive there. He's tall. Everybody's looking. This goes on for about 30 seconds. Now it's a big fucking... And everybody's watching the peripheral. They're all looking. 
Now, I must have looked like a coward, and I'm happy to look like a coward because I don't want any trouble. I'm on a holiday with my sweetheart. I've got nothing to prove. I know what I can do. So he's walking towards me. I'm walking back. I put my hand up, and I'm saying to him, you can't hear me because of music, but I'm saying, calm down, calm down. He's not calming down. He, he really wants to give it to me, right? So I'm walking back. The moment my back hits the wall, I've got to go forward. I can't do anything else. And that's when I, I got a switch. So the moment I felt it, then I switched and gave it to him in front of people. But when I switch, I don't know exactly what I'm doing because the ferocity and everything else, right? So later on, the people saw that said, Peter, one guy, he had a bar, right? He, he's a bar owner. He said, Peter. I mean, what? He went, fuck, you know, I had three friends over from New York. I went, yeah. He said, you pick the guy up and chuck him at the three and they all fucking went on the floor. You know, so I didn't know, but the mm -hmm. guy got good bashing anyway. And then I saw him two weeks later on the beach, right, from a distance. And he was kind of making himself look notice with me. So I saw him, or I went, I went, I see you. And then he disappeared, mm -hmm. you know. How is it when you have one of those moments, Peter, mm -hmm. after it, once you've, the, the, the storm calms down? Do you, mm -hmm. Does it upset you? Or do you yeah, I'm, 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 I'm upset because I've got the aggression in me now. You know, so, so when that happened... When I when I dispatched him quick, I mean I give him one punch and his 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 face was not great. Don't think his mum would even recognise him. But then when I pick him up, chicken him over there. So now all the bouncers have heard. So they've all come running over now. All the bouncers and the, and the old big lumps, aren't they? Right. So they'll come around and spotlights on me now. It's like proper gladiator stuff. And I'm like this, right? And they all they're looking at me, just telling them, and I'm like this. And suddenly I come out of it. Yeah. I say yeah. I say what's going on? I'm not scared. I say what's going on? They say would you come with us, please? Please. I said, yeah, no problem. And I went to the front door and they said, oh, the guy was Spanish. And he, he, was, he was English, he's okay, but he's Spanish. Spanish, you're bad, fuck off, go. So I, and I left and that's fine. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been diagnosed with anything? No, 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 I haven't. But I mean, I, I'm, not fun, I'm not being funny, but I have to be a nutcase in some way. <laughs> no, I mean, I have to, I'm sure. Listen, where does all that trauma go? Yeah. I mean, come on, if it's been a life full of trauma, I have to be. I, I, mm -hmm. Sometimes I wonder what I've got. I say, right, I wonder if I can do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would think, how can I not have anything? Yeah. How did you get, what happened to the brain tumour? Oh, um, well, I was in Norway. Uh, my ex-mother was dying. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, we finished, but I've, I said to him many years ago, I said, sweetheart, I said, when your mother is dying, wherever I am in the world, if you call me, I will come straight in wherever I am. He went, are you sure? Are you sure? I said, of course. Yeah. So he called me 10 years later. He said, sweetheart. I said, what? Well, my mum's dying. I said, oh, no. I said, sweetheart, I'm coming. Don't worry. The next day I got on the plane. I went there just in time in the hospital with him. She died in front of us. And I just cuddled him. I said, oh, come on, come on. He's a sweet boy. He's a beautiful boy. He's a beautiful. He's, mind you, he's beautiful, but he's bipolar. That's another story. So anyway, right? Oh, terrible, terrible behaviour. But anyway, so I was there with him. So while I was there with him, I went to the hospital for something else. They said, oh, would you like to have a checkup, a free checkup on this and that? I said, yeah, of course. So I, they took blood and everything, went there two weeks later. They said, everything's fine, but we think you've got a brain tumour. I said, oh my God. Now I'm scared, your brain tumour. I'm thinking, what is it? Is it the good or the bad one? We're both bad, but one's terminal, one's not. So they said, we don't know. But come back in two weeks, three times, two or three weeks, we'll let you know. Now, I leave the hospital scared now, but I can't tell him because his mother's just died. I could be dying three, four weeks' time if I got it, right? So I don't know. So I'm very upset. I'm very scared. I've got to comfort him. I can't tell him. He's not behaving great because he's stressed by bipolar. So 
I'm very much under stress. I'm worried about myself. I can't talk to anybody. I'm in a foreign country and I'm, I'm really nervous. But then I go back three weeks later, they said, no, it's the other one. So I've been on medication for the last 10 years. And everything's okay now? Well, I'm still here. Yeah. How was it being openly gay as well? Did a lot of people try and test you more, Peter, or was everybody acceptance of it? Uh, no, no, because they can't test me because they know who I am. Mm -hmm. How can they test me? Because they know. They know he's gay, but he's a vicious gay one, that one. Did you find a lot of so-called gangsters and stuff who weren't out, like, weren't came out as gay, who were, who were? No. Did I, you ever get people, like, so-called gangsters hit on you and pretend that they were married? Not really, no. No, not really. Uh, gangsters, no. But I did work for the for the gay mafia. Who was that? Oh, my God. Well, they called themselves the gay mafia. <laughs> you know, but they were kind of mafia. They were kind of, well, mafia-ish, mm -hmm. right? Have you, have you heard of a club called Trade? Trade? No. You know, how old are you? 38. Oh, yeah, yeah. You went, yeah I'm okay. Scottish as well. Oh, Scottish. Well, in, in the 90s in London, mm -hmm. very big club Trade. Oh, big. Everybody come from all over Europe to go there. I mean, massive. And a mad club. Characters in there. Madness going there. And somebody I used to know who was gay, he used to sell all the drugs in there. All right? And he was allowed to do it because he was getting paid off openly. And so in heaven, he was selling all the drugs. And in all the gay... So there was a mafia. He got all his gay friends to do it. So we called him the gay mafia. And he liked that. You know, and he made millions and millions and millions, but then it went on for too long and he eventually got arrested. But uh, um, no, he, he wasn't for, 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 he wasn't a mafia to me, but to his own mind, he even got a big painting done in his in his with a cigar and all that kind of thing. I thought he's lost it. He had come to lost it. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to humor him. But the funny thing was, because he had all the gear, all the drugs, he used to fuck all the straight boys because the straight boys would do anything, anything for drugs. Yeah. Give him the drugs and it gives you ass. He used to fuck them all day long. <laughs> yeah, I used to be, I used to be jealous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So what happens then when you've got, like you've up your roller coaster of emotions through life, Peter? Yeah. Like you're you've tried to keep you've got yourself in great shape. You've yeah. worked to doors. You've been a fucking football hooligan. Like you've been in and out relationships. You've got a brain tumor. You get done for attempt murder there. Mm. When did you get out? Uh, uh, three years ago. So how's life been? Well, the first year was tough because they put me for the first, for about six months, they put me in a bail hostel. Yeah? It's worse than fucking prison. Fuck it, I was shocked. I mean, there's more cameras in the fucking bail hostel than prison. More rules, curfew, you've got to do all these chores, you've got to do these courses, you've got to do this. Uh, I thought myself, you know what, I'm going to go back to fucking prison. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> you, I had to bite my tongue, I had to bite my tongue, and they talk to you like shit because they know you say something bad, they can recall you. So they talk to you like shit, you know? And then they do something was called a welfare a welfare check, right? Fucking drive you nuts. Which means when you're in your room, it's curfew. Knock on your room at fucking nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, it's a welfare check. Nah, they just nosy cunts to see if you're in there, right? Then they do it at 12 o'clock. Then they do it. So about five times a day, they're knocking on your door, being nosy, and then they're going to come and search. I mean, it's really, I say anybody who's going to go to a bail hostel, think twice because... It really is tough. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, I've got a probation officer, yeah? And most of them, again, are cunts. Yeah. yeah? Did you, how many times you got to see a PO well, a week? I've got a good one at the moment. I mean, really good. In fact, we're like friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, really is great. It's a good laugh. And in fact, he said to me the other day, he said, Peter, I want to be your friend when this is over, but I have to ask permission. 
I said, for, uh, permission from who? From he works to be a friend because I'm an ex-con. I said, okay, but he really wants to be, be, be my friend. I said, that's great because he's a good guy as well. But I see this one once a month. And he's good. He's good. Yeah, that's not so bad. There's no, but no, but it started off. It started off once a week. Once a week, yeah. And some of them, and some of them, them made my blood boil. I mean, really, I had to come out there and I had to sit down and breathe heavy because, you know, they always want to talk about their offence. And I say, hold on a minute. I've done the bird for that. I've done courses for that. And all you're doing is traumatising me. I don't want to talk about their offence. I want to move on and talk about other stuff. All you're doing mm. is bring me back. You know, I said, and I said to them. In fact, my first one I had, I said, listen, I told me straight, I said, listen, I've been in the system since I was eight months. Yeah, longer than you've been alive, right? So you don't tell me anything about what the system's going to do for me and how they're going to help me and what they're going to give me because they give me shit except trauma and scars. So let's get it straight. And I don't want to be here, but I have to be here because it's part of the license. So I would answer your questions and do that. But we're not friends. I don't like you, in fact, but I'm here. So I just give it to him straight. And then I just go and, and say as little as possible and then just piss off. Mm. Do you think you'll stay out of prison, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, this was a mistake. This, mm. was, this, this, wasn't, this was something mental what happened. It wasn't intentional. That's why... The person was involved, you know, understands this. So, no, no, I'm, I don't want to be in prison. I'm not a gangster. I'm not trying to be tough. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to do anything except live my life. The prison thing was a very bad thing that happened, but it was mental. And everybody involved understands that. How old are you now? I'm now, believe it or not, 62. You look great, man. Yeah, I, I tell everybody, I, I, well, let's see, I tell everybody I'm only 50. <laughs> you know? Has to get the younger boys, yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Do you scare yourself sometimes, Peter? In, in what way? Just that when you can be triggered. No, no, because I, I, I'm, for most of it, I'm in control. Mm -hmm. I said the only the only time the only time I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit scared of myself is when when uh, loss comes, when loss, when somebody's, someone I've, is leaving me and being horrible to me at the same time, you know? Have you ever been suicidal? though? No. So, and that's weird. And that's fucking weird because if anybody should have, I should have. Mm. If anybody fucking should have. I mean, I did cut myself once with a, with a, with a Stanley blade, you know, because that, that's because uh, I just wanted to take some pain away somewhere else. So I thought, do it there instead. Mm -hmm. And it worked. But then I thought, fuck it out. Why don't we do that again? Yeah. <laughs> have you never had therapy or anything? No, I, I'm trying to. I, it was, it's one of my biggest wishes to have therapy because I say I must be nuts. I'm, I can't be right. You We're know? all fucking nuts, Peter. Yeah, but We're all nuts. Yeah, well, my, my ex boyfriend who was bipolar. I said to him, "Listen, you're fucking nutty, bonbon." I said, "You're just crazy." He said, "You're nuttier than me." I said, "We're well, coming from someone who's got bipolar. That's, that means a lot." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, that's for anybody watching to reach out. Like, I can tell you're a gentleman. Like, yeah. I can tell you're a sweet guy. Yeah. Like, but I also can tell that. Right, yeah, but people, yeah, but people yeah. don't see it. People yeah. don't see it. No, but this, I'm, I'm talking to you. Mm -hmm. If I didn't talk to you about this, you wouldn't know. Now, yeah. don't care what you say, you would not know. Mm -hmm. You'd think, ah, oh, we sweetheart. Like everybody does because do you think that's a tactic you have though? No, it's not even a tactic. Or do you think that's just you? No, just me. I, listen, I have no tactics. When I'm speaking to you now, and when I'm on that podcast there, and when I posted that thing that's gone viral, mm -hmm. no tactics. I'm just, listen, the thing with me is, I always speak from the heart. And, you know, when I talk, I speak from the heart, and I, that's the only way I can do it. And that's why any situation I'm in, any situation I'm in, I will hold myself properly. If I'm outnumbered 10 to 1, I'm still going to go down like a man, you know? If in prison, when when the officers want me to do something and I know the consequence is not good, I said, no, 
you do you, you do what you do, I do what I do, and I accept the consequences. So no, my my integrity comes first. I'm not a bully. I don't want to intimidate anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to scare anybody. In fact, I want to be friends. I always made friends so I could feel loved. That's because I didn't get any love anywhere else. And I was very popular in school, and uh, I'm still very popular as a person. Everybody seems to warm by my personality because nobody knows that side of me. I'm only telling you because you want to hear the story. Mm -hmm. You know, if you met me, you wouldn't know these stories. When are you at your happiest? Well, happy is a word. It's a word. I'm not sure if I know the feeling. I've had happy moments, some great happy moments. When I go to Thailand, wow, happy time. You know, uh, Ibiza, I lived in Ibiza, happy time, you know, um, Norway, happy time, when I'm in love, happy time. So I've had happy moments, happy times, but my life hasn't been happy, you know. I mean, someone sent me a message the other day and they said to me, even your grief is love. So I'm all about love, it's the truth is known. So happy is something I'm not sure if I'm going to get ever be happy, but I'm happy to live. You know, I know my life hasn't been great. But it's not been so bad that I don't want to live. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so happy, I'm not sure if I'm ever going to be ecstatically happy because, you know, how can I be? Because my childhood was taken away from me. There was no childhood. So how can I be happy? Because that's supposed to be the best time of your life, no? Why did you go to Norway? Because he's Norwegian. Oh, you went for a man? No, yeah, of course I go anywhere for love. Fuck <laughs> here. No, I'll fucking go to Mars for love. If you're a Martian, and you're good looking <laughs> and you're hot. I'm living in Mars with you, <laughs> me and you in a tent. I don't give a no. I go anywhere. I for love. I go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because because I want to be loved. I want someone to love me. I I've been single now for seven years and it's hard for me. It's really terrible, and I wish I could find somebody, but it's hard. Do you have much family around you now? No, I don't have family, do I? I have three brothers, but they're not. They're not. They're not great. Well, they're terrible. But <laughs> they're not great. They're terrible. I, we don't get on. But I think the reason is there because I worked out the other day when we were in care, they had to turn up their emotions to survive. Where with me, I'm highly sensitive. I, I, that's not an option. I can't you do went it. You the other side. I can't turn up my emotions. It's not possible. Even if I, I can't do it because I'm emotional. So they forgot to turn their emotions back on. And so when I see them, they're like cold fish. And sometimes I cry in front of them and they look at me like, fix up, man, fix yourself up. You know, and that hurts me when they say things like that because they should know, you know. How did you feel when your dad passed? Uh, well, I tried to avoid it, in fact, because he wanted me to come. He, he, I think he wanted me to come these last few days. I said, no. They said, what do you mean? My older brother said, what do you mean no? I said, no. I said, listen, I've gone already made up with that Christmas if you think I'm going to traumatise myself more and watch him die when I don't need to, why would I do that? It's already made up. We parted. I don't owe anything to him. I don't owe fuck all to him. So if he's going to die now, he can die knowing that he's met me and I'm at peace with him. But I'm not going to go and watch him die, then walk away and be traumatised, another scar in my body. I'm not going to do that to myself. So now, because I'm sensitive, I have to guard myself from situations like that. If I'm watching a horror film now, I don't even watch a horror film. Because I don't want that horror in my head. 
So any anything around me, if people are shouting and screaming, even on the street, if I'm walking the street and they hear loud noises, people talking loud, I cross the road. I don't want any noise or any, any you know? Mm-hmm. Or if, if someone's giving me attitude, which doesn't happen, but if someone gives me attitude, I would just look and never look at that person again because I, I'm, I want to avoid any confrontation. I don't want to... I deserve my remaining years of happiness. I don't want conversation with anybody, you know? So this is what I'm trying to avoid. Do you sleep okay at night? Yeah. Well, and this is really weird because I shouldn't. And even my exes say, how is it you sleep so well with all your fucking trauma and everything you've gone through? And I wondered as well. So when I went to Norway to get about, I found out about my tumour, they did another test, a sleep test. They wired me up with all this shit, right? So I'm on the bed there sleeping. And then I woke up and they said to, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And I woke up and they said to, they said to me, yeah, but uh, it's very weird with you. I said, what do you mean? They said, that sleep, that deep sleep that people take 20 minutes to get into, yeah? With you, you go straight into it. And and I think, I think him up there, he knew he had to put that in there because otherwise I wouldn't be sleeping. That's yeah. true, I wouldn't be sleeping. That helps you know? with a pin. Well, I, I can go to sleep just like that, you know? And I sleep good. But I spoke to someone a couple of weeks ago who was a bodybuilder. Yeah. And my sleep's not the greatest, but he says my testosterone was dropping. So maybe you've got a high test mm. as well. Mm. No, I don't. No, you're not. No, I don't. I don't. I don't. No, no. It's just that trait. It's something I have. You know, know, if there is such a thing, you know, because you know what happened? Because when it comes to God, I mean, do you believe in God? I believe in a higher power. Well, it's only recently I've stopped praying. I've stopped praying. Why? Well, because, you know, when you've been praying for 60 odd years and all you get is tears, you think, what's the point, right? It comes to a point where you think, hold on, I'm praying. Lose faith. You think, hold on, I'm praying. He knows I'm a good guy. He knows my heart. So how is it possible that these prayers are not being answered? All right. But but then, yeah, this happens this week. And everybody's interested in me and my story. And maybe this is what it's all about now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's put me, I'm just saying, maybe he's put me for all that to finally have something to tell, to tell people. You know, there's a video I made. Um, we're trying to put it on on uh, on the, the net, but it was made about two years ago, and I, I'm, I want to do a TED talk. So it's a video of me speaking for 15 minutes, and we, we hopefully can try to put it up there. If you see that video, everybody who sees that video is speechless. I mean, when I say speechless, so. This is what I'm trying to do because I want to do a TED talk. That's my my goal is, my my biggest dream is to get these books published. I'm doing two books at the moment. One is my autobiography, and the other one is a book of letters, and they both complement each other because they're both the same story, but one told in letters and one there, yeah. And the other thing I want to do is a TED talk. I want to go on stage and tell the. And the reason why I want to tell my story is because I've had eight friends who committed suicide. And there's a lot of people, young people committing suicide, right? I want to let them know that we are more than our adversity. I want to let them know that we can overcome it. We we can become something more than our pain and our tears. I want them to know that uh, suicide is never the answer because whatever you're going through, we're not lost, you know? If I can stand up and tell my pain and my heart hurt, my sadness, hold on, I had no family, I had no love. I was beaten. I was raped. When I left care, my nose had to be broken twice. My jaw broken. My ribs broken. I was raped. I was beaten. I had no love. And look, I'm here today telling you I survived this. You're going through something, 
but look what I survived. So if I can do it, you can hang on. I don't want another young person to die like that. And also uh, childhood trauma. I don't want another child to feel like I felt. I don't want no child in the world, in the world should feel like I felt. I felt abandoned. I felt worthless. I felt lonely. I felt despair. My whole life was no joy. In my childhood, I can't remember one memory that lifts me in the sky. Not one. You wanted to read something, Peter? Yeah. Well, this is something uh, because I was in the care of Haringey Council. Yeah. And I wrote this letter and I'm, I handed it in last week. And this is what I wrote. Excuse me. I'm going to do it slowly because my yeah, reading is good. Reparations uh, to Haringey Council. I'm writing to you asking for reparations for the many wrongs done to me while I was in your care in the 1960s to 1978 because a large number of my carers acted woefully and with great malice towards me I am seeking compensation to offset the multitude of injustices done to me. I am also seeking an apology. I feel it's important to take this step so I can gain closure and move on with my life. I acknowledge 82 was one of the better homes and for 11 years it felt like a home and I felt safe. But this all changed suddenly and violently which has left me traumatised to this day, resulting in post-traumatic stress disorder. For violently removing me from the only home I have ever known of 11 years, I am seeking £100,000. For being traumatised for life resulting in post-traumatic stress, I am seeking a further £100,000. For putting me through 25 different institutions like human cargo and in harm's way, there really isn't enough money in the world that can cover what I was subjected to over nearly two decades in your care. For the violence I witnessed and the violence perpetrated against me, you are charged £200,000. For hearing other children scream at night, £25,000. For their appalling and shameful brutality and for humiliating, terrorising, beating and scaring me shitless, you will never be forgiven. For the many punches and kicks that broke my nose twice and the various other wicked blows that fractured my ribs and jaw, I have to tell you, it was only then I wondered how much more a young boy so could endure. But being raped on my 12th birthday was the final straw, and when I lost all belief and started hating myself. All the money, all the money in the world can never compensate for a child living in fear. For making me cry for 365 days of the year for each of my 18 years in care, for a lacerated heart and wiping the smile off my face, for the deep scars I carry for life and the deliberate abuse, I'm lost for words to describe the hell a young boy had to face. The lack of care was beyond a disgrace. There really is no excuse. When you add it all up, the true cost of my life in care was way too much for a sweet soul to bear. Powerful brother. Yes. That's released a lot of shit, you know. How does it make you feel reading that? Make me feel angry. Make me feel sad. Make me feel like, you know, if they were in front of me, you know, I would just line them all up now and sit them down and just 
give them peace of my mind. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything bad to them physically, but I would sit them all down for at least an hour and just tell them how they made me feel. I was innocent. I was young. I was a child. You are my carers. And that is your duty as a human being to plant seeds in me of happiness and growth and prosperity. But all you did is degradation, put me down, treat me terrible and spit on my soul and my heart. And you made me sad and cry for 365 days of each year for 18 years. There was no love, no care, no kindness, no consideration, no thoughtfulness. They made me sad. And today is the ripples of them, of that I have to carry and live. And that's why I very rarely smile. I cry all the time. And uh, they shouldn't do that. They shouldn't do that. And that's what I would say to them. How does it feel being coming here and telling your story today? Well, to be honest with you, um, if it was years ago, I would have been nervous. I would have been a little bit apprehensive. But there's that thing called post-traumatic growth, not post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic growth, which means from heartache and struggle, you grow, you learn. This is nothing compared to what I've been through. Who am I to come here and to be scared? Who am I to be scared of talking about what happened to me? I can go anywhere in the world and not be scared because I've been scared most of my life. I'm traumatized from worse than this. What is this? If I go on stage and do a public speaking and I fall, I'm not scared because I've been worse than this. So post-traumatic growth, I've grown. Mm -hmm. And this is nothing. It's something, it's beautiful, but it doesn't scare me. For over 60 years, you say you've not really smiled and you've all you've felt is pain and mm. you stopped praying, you stopped believing, you mm. gave up hope, you've, mm. you've stopped with your faith. Mm. But this week something's changed. That How does that make you feel? Can you enjoy that? Yeah, or do you course. think people are up to something? No, no, I, I see what it is. I see it's love. Yesterday I'm sitting at home yeah, window open, 10 o'clock, I hear Peter, Peter, Peter outside my house. I go look out, there's two angels, two ladies. Peter, we have some food for you. Come down, so I come down, they got a bag of food for me, gave me a little money. They said, we saw your TikTok, we worked out where you live. I said, how's that? Because where I live, in the window, the buses go up and down. I've got an Eiffel Tower, colourful, with all different colours. Everybody looks up and says, wow, it's on the video. Three people have come to my house and worked out where I live. It's happened three days in a row. Peter, 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 people bring food and money outside my house. So when I posted it, it wasn't to be famous. It wasn't to, to, to get a reaction. It was just, so when I woke up three days later, because I, I didn't go on it, and I see the reaction, I was blown away. My friend said, Peter, over a million and a half people have seen that. Really? So, and it's all spiraled all from that. So when I leave here and go home, I've got 98 uh, parcels to open. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know what's in there. And uh, as I say, the bit watch, the bit watch, bit watch, bit watch. <laughs> but now you've got a lot of people backing, you know, yeah. Peter. Now you've got a lot of people looking to your story for inspiration. Yeah. Does it scare you that, that people are then looking for answers no, for you? No, I can't give any... I, I can give nobody answers. Mm -hmm. I can just tell my story. And if people want to take something from that, which they are doing, I'm happy for that. But I can give no answers mm -hmm. to nobody. I can, I, I'm not a, a philosopher. Uh, I'm not no scientist. I'm, I'm not no scholar. 
I'm a scholar of hard knocks. I'm a scholar of adversity. Very few people will go for that kind of adversity, right? Mm. They're so young. It, it, that traumatized. I, how did he get through that? How did you get through that? I can give them advice. Mm -hmm. But if they want to look up to me or, or get something from me, fine. But I can't give them no advice. For anybody that's sitting in the struggle just now, Peter, mm. what advice would you have for them? If you're struggling now, you've got to find a way to deal with that struggle. If it's going for a walk, if it's going for a swim, if it's doing some painting, if it's doing meditating, if it's doing crying. And the only way you're going to get over that pain, I'm afraid, is to feel every bit of it. Is to be miserable, sad, is to cry, is to be lonely, is to be in despair because one day you'll come through it and the sun will shine. So I'm afraid, you know, it's part of life, the pain. You can't have a rainbow without a little bit of rain. And where can people get a hold of you, Peter? And just in case they want to get in touch, ask you questions. I know you've got your TikTok. Well, well, right. Now, this is what people are saying now. I would like to do, what do you call it? You can do open finger on, on um, I may do some open on TikTok. You can speak to people. I don't know what it's yeah, called. Yeah, you can do lives. I'm trying, this is where I'm trying to head, right? Yeah. I want to do, because I want to give. What's your name on TikTok? Uh, my TikTok is... is um, Peter Woods. Peter, Peter Woods. One or something, yes, one, I'm, two, three. Yeah, well, you can tell people. Yeah, that, I'll yeah. leave it in the description. Yeah. I would like support in every way possible. And if there's any children from the care home or have come out of the care home who are lost, please contact me and I can only give you advice or give you some encouragement, you know. But you've seen where I come from. Of course, it's going to be hard, and, but I understand your journey. So you're talking to someone who can emphasize and who's walked in your shoes. So, and, and, and not only that, anybody else who's going through anything, you can talk to me because, uh, I mean, if I'm an expert in anything, it's trauma and it's adversity and look what I've overcome. And so there are ways that I've overcome it and learned and, and I can help the best I can. That's all I can do. But I would like support as people following me and people just, just um, supporting me in any way they can because my biggest dream is to get my books done and I, I'm going to do a GoFundMe page or something like that because these books need to be done not only for my purpose but they're telling a story that is very rarely told a story of children in care in the 60s and 70s and I want to tell that because I want the world to know some of it is still going on now and it really shouldn't How did you overcome it, Peter? By, by going through it Forgiveness? Uh, Have you forgiven? Or is that too tough? Uh, no. I always believe you've got to forgive to heal, but I've never been through that extent, so I can't really give uh, that but answer. Who, but who am I forgiving? Your abusers, the people who's left I don't, you. I don't think you. about them. But how did you overcome it? For not, anybody but, that's watched. But, what, by not thinking about them, by thinking of, by, by concentrating on myself. If, I, if I'm going to think about the man who abused me, the only thing I'm going to think about is killing him. And do I really want to think about all day killing somebody? No. So what I'm going to think about is how can I heal or how can I distract myself? So I go to the gym and I do that. And now I start writing and I do that. Or I go for a nice long walk. So I surround myself with friends or, or a dog or a cat, which I don't have. I wish I did. Or a bird or whatever. Or I go on holiday. My, my, my thing is going on holiday. But when I go on a holiday, I don't go for a week. I like to go for a year. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Would you like to finish up on anything? Um, no. Well, I, I have enjoyed it. I don't. Uh, I hope I, I didn't. I come over okay. I don't Done know. Amazing, by the you way. Know? This will do well, Peter. So yeah, it's all just down to you. 
how you ride that wave after it and yeah doors well open but it's yeah. just down to you what ones you want to walk well, through i mean all, all i say is uh i'm looking for an opportunity to do something with with what i've been through if it's helping the children or if it's the book or the podcast or i'd like to do public speaking so if anybody wants to hire me or whatever, that would be wonderful for me because it would give me a it would give me a purpose and it would give me joy to go on the stage. I'm not sure if I'd be good at it, but uh, I would just like to have a proper job. Have a proper mm. job. Yeah, I never had a proper job. Go for it, Peter. Listen, yeah. for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. telling your story. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I wish you all the best for the future. Go and get your dreams and keep speaking the truth, my brother. Thank you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. you. Podcast Network.